Good morning, everybody. Just, just for the record, Mr. Patrick is my great-grandfather. You can call me Patrick. <laughs> That's okay for my former students, like Elijah. You can call me Mr. Patrick. That's fine. <laughs> so it's good to be up here again sharing with you guys. Uh, some of you might remember that I've joked around before that I only teach on time change Sundays or special occasions like Mother's Day or something like that. Uh, and you might be thinking, well, what's, what's, what's he doing up there on an ordinary Sunday? But first of all, if you think it's an ordinary Sunday and you haven't poked your head in that room where all those baked goods are, because that's a special occasion right there. And second of all, or third of all, I don't know, uh, you might already know. Maybe you already know it is a special occasion this week. It is. Let me turn this on, then it'll work. National Pet Parents Day. So happy Pet Parents Day to those of you who have them. I don't know if your pet is supposed to get you a card or how that's supposed to work, but, you know, <laughs> that's, that's something to celebrate. You know, it, it could, you might also be getting your jump rope ready for National Skipping Day, because that's today, too. It's a busy day. We just missed yesterday... National Pool Opening Day, which seems a little early for this time of year, unless you're Tony and your pool is like 80 degrees, right, Tony? Where are you? <laughs> Did you open yours yet? Not yet. Not yet. National Sense of Smell Day, which you can only celebrate if the pollen isn't like stuffing your nose all up right now, like me. So we just missed those yesterday. Uh, but my favorite today is actually, besides the other ones I mentioned, it's National Pigs in a Blanket Day. So, I'm going to run into all of you at the store after church, picking up our little hot dogs and crescent rolls, and, you know, we can all have a good time and celebrate the holiday, right? Now, these are, these are kind of funny things to know, aren't they? You know, funny things to know that maybe we didn't know, and now you know, right? Now you know that what today is, April 24th. I'm sure you'll remember next April 24th and be ready to celebrate all these things. Your, your dogs and cats will have cards for you and everything. These are funny things to know, but I think today we should talk about something important to know. You were wondering where I was going with all this, weren't you? That's the transition. These are something important to know. That could be classified by some as something pointless to know. By some, not us. You know, we, we know these are important days. But, but something really important to know is what I want us to talk about today. You know, most of us already know it, but we need to know we know. That's what we, that's what we need. So... Why don't we open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We're picking up where Pastor Rich left off two weeks ago before Easter. 1 John chapter 4. We'll do a little recap there. In the section we studied last in 1 John chapter 4, we saw in verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, many people, we all have favorite verses, right? Favorite Bible verses or a few favorite Bible verses that we like to memorize and remember and hang on to. Maybe they've gotten us through something difficult or that's something that God's really spoken extra loudly to us about in his word. You know, but I'd say there's probably a good number of people whose favorite verses don't mention sin, right? Because it's, it's tough. It's tough to... Be reminded of our sinfulness sometimes. 
But for me, verses like this one, and I'm, I think some, some other people too, I don't think I'm the only one, verses like this one in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Those verses are extra special to me because they remind me of just how amazing God's love is. You know, despite my sinfulness, God loves me, and he loved me while I was still a sinner and died for me. So his love doesn't depend on me. His love doesn't depend on my good behavior. It doesn't depend on my good deeds. Any good thing that I could ever do on my own, which is next to nothing anyway, it's his love for me. He loved us first. So these verses, even though they mention sin, which sometimes we don't like to hear about, we all know we're sinners, right? It's not like a secret. We know we're sinners, and to be reminded that God loves us even though we were sinners, he still loved us and died for us. That's, that's amazing to me. Those are, that's why those verses speak to me, why they're some of my favorite verses. Now, John's letter lo- mentions love so many times, right? We've been in 1 John for a while, and we've heard love, you know, I didn't count, but it seems like 600 times to me. Love, love, love. We love one another. God loved us. God loves us, so we should love one another. If we don't love one another, then we don't love God. Those kind of things. We've heard a lot about love, right? God loved us and sent his son to die for us. This definition jumped right out at me, even amongst all these loves, all this talk about love, to the point, you know, you read a word enough times and it starts to not make sense. You ever do that? My wife was telling me she does, you know, crafts and things, and sometimes she has to write the same word over and over and over again. And then after you've been doing it enough, like, is this, is this how I spell thank you? <laughs> Have I been doing it wrong all this time, or is my head just playing tricks on me? Something like that happens if we, you know, kind of read about love so many times, but yet this definition jumped out at me, that God loves us like this. He did this for us. He died for us. And so since he died for us, since he loves us that way, we ought to love one another. And that's what we talked about last time. Showing that God's, God's love lives in us and is being made complete in us. That's how we, we need to love one another, complete and mature love, uh, because God loves, loved us first. So today, we're going to look at verses 13 through the first part of verse 16. Uh, and, you know, that's... Why, why just the first part? Well, I'm actually cheating a little. I was supposed to do till 15, but the first part of verse 16 went with what I was saying, so I, I took that one too. I told Justin I'm sorry because he's he, <laughs> I stole half of his verse. Oh, it's yours? Oh, okay. So I, I'm sorry, Jim. I stole half your verse. You, you, we can overlap though, right? You'll, you'll cover it. <laughs> so let's read the section t- together. Verses 13 through the first part of verse 16. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And we know and rely on the love God has for us. So John talked a lot in his letter about the characteristics and behavior that true believers and followers of Jesus should have, right? And he often speaks in very absolute terms. For for a few examples here, 1 John 2, 3, and 4, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world. Sorry, I lost my place here. 
Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Chapter 3, verse 6, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And more recently, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And when you add all of these, these aren't even the only ones, but some of these very absolute statements, if this, then this. You know, if, if you don't do this, then you're not God's. If you do, the, do this, you are God's. They can add up to uh, us kind of starting to question ourselves, right? You know, like when we see that we're not really measuring up exactly to what John says that a believer should be. And we can question ourselves, and it's good if we feel conviction. It's good if we, the, the Holy Spirit convicts us and tells us, you know, you need to work on this in your life, or you need to let God work on it more accurately, you know, to let Him uh, show more love through you, to let you be more, uh, less worldly and more godly. You know, that's, that's good. Conviction is good. But to start doubting, to start doubting the truths that God has also told us about ourselves, about who we are in Him, that's not good. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because we can. We can start to doubt. We can start to doubt that the things that God has already promised to us and the things that God has said about us are really true because we look at ourselves and we see that we don't measure up to what we should be in Him. So we start to ask, do I really belong to God? Do I really know Him? Am I really saved? Now, these are important questions that everyone has to answer, but they're not questions that I think we should keep asking ourselves over and over and over again once we're sure of it once and for all. God doesn't want us to question our salvation at every turn. He wants us to be very clear about whether we are or not, are not His. He wants us to know. John also provides ample evidence in his letter that these things do not uh, mean that we're not gods, you know, these things that he said. I mean, in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 9, he said, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So that tells us that we can be purified from our sins. Sin doesn't mean that we're not saved. We're not sinless because we are saved, and sin doesn't mean that we're not saved. It doesn't indicate in this verse that there's any limit to the forgiveness Jesus will give us before disqualifying us from his grace and from salvation. And Pastor Rich talked uh, throughout the study about the di- there being a difference between someone who sins, which we all do, and someone who goes on sinning and living in sin. And that if we're really gods, then we shouldn't really be able to do that. We shouldn't be able to go on living in sin because we'll be convicted and, and need to repent from it. Now, the enemy wants us to ignore the difference between living in sin and going on sinning and being someone who does sin on a you know, I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, we sin on a daily basis, don't we? Uh, not, maybe not something that jumps out at everybody as a sin, but, but our thoughts and the way that we act and our attitudes. We have a sin nature still. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, but we still have a sin nature, so we still do sin. So there's a difference between the fact that we do sin and then we repent and we turn to God and ask Him to forgive us, or, or that we just go on sinning and living in sin. The enemy wants us to ignore the difference and wonder if we're really saved because we've committed a sin repeatedly or because we haven't felt like reading the Bible lately for that matter or because it doesn't seem like God is speaking to us right now when we do read 
or because we're having a hard time praying. The enemy wants us to question everything, question if we're really gods. You know, you, look at you. You can't even pray. You're not gods. The enemy wants to do that to us. After all, he wants to do as much damage as he can to us because we're, we do, if we do belong to God, that hurts God, right? He wants, us, he wants to steal our joy and peace. He wants us to believe that we can't serve God, that we're not any good for that. He wants to give up reading our Bible, give up trying to pray, give up going to church because we're unsure of really belonging to God. After all, he started out in the garden with questioning God's words. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree? And he also wasn't above using God's own words to try and tempt Jesus. He quoted Psalm 91 to Jesus in the desert to try and tempt Jesus. So if the enemy would use that trick on Jesus or try to, do you think he wouldn't try it on us? Try to use God's own words against us to make us feel like we're not his? He'll do it if we let him. He could use this verse from from 1 John. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. He could use that verse on us and try and get us to think, well, I don't always do what God commands. Maybe the truth isn't in me. Maybe I'm not his and I'm a liar. You know, we could, we could start to think that way. And I think sometimes we do. So the enemy has no problem twi- trying to twist God's word. So it's important for us to know the whole truth, to know it, to be very familiar with what God's whole word says, Right? If we don't know God's word, then really we're leaving ourselves open for attacks because if we don't know the truth, we're very vulnerable to lies and twists of the truth. Now, John offers just that kind of assurance that we need in verse 13 here. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We know it. That's what we should. We should know it. We should know that we are his. We shouldn't have to doubt that we are his. God doesn't want us to doubt that we are his. We know it because the Holy Spirit has come to live within us. Now, not only are we saved from our sins but we're, and promised eternal life because of what Jesus has done on the cross and his resurrection, but we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Warren Wearsby made an interesting point about this. He talked about how... God has been with his people in different ways throughout history. You know, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham are all said to have walked with God. Moses went and met with God, and God talked to him as one talks to a friend face to face. And then they built the tabernacle at God's command, and later the temple, and God's presence dwelt there among his people. So God was living, walking with them, meeting with them, dwelling with them. And then Jesus came and he lived among us and lived as us. He lived as one of us and changed everything. And now the Holy Spirit lives within us. So we have an even greater privilege than any of those uh, great pillars of our, of our faith, right? The, the patriarchs did because the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And now at other times, God's presence would depart. God's presence departed from the tabernacle when Israel sinned. God's presence departed from the temple before it was destroyed. 
and Ezekiel witnessed it in a vision. Um, there are some people who had said that the Spirit of God came upon them, but then the Spirit of God also left them when they, when they sinned against God and disobeyed him, as in the case of King Saul and Samson. So the Spirit came and the Spirit left. God came and left. But the Holy Spirit living within us will never leave. There is, there is no way that he is going to leave. We see this in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. There's no be with you forever unless you do this. Be with you forever if, and, and unless you screw up. That's, that's not there. That's not the end of that verse. It's be with you forever, period. The Holy Spirit will come and be with you forever. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 tell us, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. It's not something we can lose. We cannot lose the Holy Spirit living within us once he has come to live with us. If the Holy Spirit could just leave, what kind of guarantee would that be? It'd be worse than the fine print on all those ads telling us that some restrictions and rules may apply to this guarantee, right? It'd be worse than that. Far worse. But the Holy Spirit will not leave us once he has come to live within us. Now, John has been telling us throughout this letter that God is love, right? Warren Wearsby, again, he said this about this, that this truth is revealed to us in the word, but it was also revealed on the cross where Christ died for us. God has said something to us, and God has done something for us. Well, <laughs> there we go. Technical difficulties. He has said something to us, and God has done something for us. But all this is preparation for the third great fact. God does something in us. We are not merely students reading a book or spectators watching a deeply moving event. We are participants in the great drama of God's love. That's, that's awesome, isn't it? We are participants in the great drama of God's love. You know, as if it wasn't enough that Jesus died on the cross for us to show us his love, the Holy Spirit now dwells within us, and he's doing something in us to show us God's love. Now, on my own, I, I feel a very unfit place for the Holy Spirit to, to even visit, never mind live forever, right? We all are. We're very unfit on our own for that. The, the holiness of God coming to live within us in our sinful state would destroy us, but Jesus has given us his righteousness. He took our place and gave us his righteousness. And so the Holy Spirit can and does come live within us when we put our trust in him. Now we could spend many Sundays discussing different attributes of the Holy Spirit and all that it does for us. But, you know, I'm only here for National Pigs in a Blanket Day. So let's just look at a few. Closer, let's take a closer look at what John was saying about the Holy Spirit. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. I haven't gotten to that yet. I clicked too soon. David Guzik said about this, First it is the spirit of God in us that is the abiding presence of Jesus. The presence of his spirit is how he abides in us. 
Secondly, it is the testimony of the Holy Spirit within us that makes it possible for us to know that we abide in Him. So the Holy Spirit is living within us, confirming that we are His, that we abide in Him. It offers the testimony. In Romans 8.16, it says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So the Holy Spirit is living within us to let us know that we are His, that we really are saved, we really have received that grace. Now we could look at the fruits of the Spirit, which many of us are familiar with. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now if you're already full of all of these things, congratulations. Look no further. There's all the proof you need of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. If you are full of these things, and some of you are. I'm not saying that you aren't. I know many of you to be examples of these things. But if you're thinking right now that I'm lacking in some of those, that I am not that patient, or I am not that gentle, I'm kind of rough. <laughs> if you're thinking that, that doesn't mean that the Spirit isn't in you. In Galatians 5, preceding this list of the fruits of the Spirit, Paul listed a contrasting list of the acts of the sinful nature. And then in verse 17, Paul says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Conflict between our sinful nature, which we still have in these human bodies, and the Spirit that wants to make us full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That conflict is within us is proof that the Holy Spirit is doing something because without the Holy Spirit there, there's no conflict. We're just terrible. We're just sinners. We don't have the fruits of the Spirit. Now, if you feel like you're not growing enough in these areas, you know, I, I as someone of an amateur, somewhat of an amateur gardener, you know, I grow vegetables in the summer, not, not on the level Justin does. His garden is intense. But... Uh, Intense in a good way. It's really cool. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes things don't grow at the same rate, do they? You know, we've got things that grow faster than others, even in the best of circumstances. And then you've got situations where, like, it was a great year for cucumbers last year, but my tomatoes did awful, you know, that, that kind of situation. All of our fruit doesn't necessarily grow at the same speed. We can't expect instantaneous growth in every area of our spiritual lives either, especially especially if we're not doing what we need to do to kind of tend the soil of our lives so that that fruit can grow. You know, the Spirit has to do the work in us, but we can help or slow that process with the choices we make, good or bad choices for ourselves, how we spend our time, what we focus on. You know, maybe... Maybe the music or the shows you're, music you're listening to or the shows you're watching are robbing you of your peace. Maybe you're putting yourself in situations that hurt your ability to uh, exercise self-control. Maybe you let yourself get too stressed and then you turn grumpy and that takes away from your gentleness. You know, none of this ever happens to me, of course. <laughs> Just all the time. Maybe we're not spending enough time in God's word or in prayer. I can tell you one thing. If, we're not, if we 
are not growing in these fruits as fast as we'd like to be. The problem isn't with God, it's with us. He wants to do that work in us. He wants to make us more like Jesus. But we can slow it down by not cooperating. Still, don't get sidetracked because you still aren't the most patient person in the world or the uh, pinnacle of gentleness. Don't get sidetracked and think that the Holy Spirit isn't there working in you. It's very likely that the reason you're thinking those things about yourself, like I'm not that gentle and I'm not that good, is because the Holy Spirit is working inside you to convict you of your sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us even before we're believers and leads us to repentance, but it continues to convict us after we become believers to show us the things that just got to go. It should, be, should not lead to a question of salvation when we struggle with sin or struggle to uh, read our Bibles or to pray or to worship. Those things happen in the lifetime of a believer, but it shouldn't lead us to question our salvation. Because our salvation comes from God, not from us. Now, if I can't hear God speaking to me by His Holy Spirit, you know, I've never heard God speak audibly to me. I'll say that, but you know, these things that happen where we're reading our Bibles and we really, we, God shows us by His Holy Spirit this verse that we need to look at and we need to look at it more carefully. That happens, right? But maybe if it hasn't happened in a while, maybe you've been reading and it's been what, what I've heard it called is a kind of a dry spell where you just really don't feel like God's talking to you from his word. Maybe he's trying to, but you're being too noisy. You know, God's said to have, the Holy Spirit is said to have a still small voice. Well, a still small voice requires that we shut up, right? Or that we quiet down everything going on around us a little bit so that we can focus on God. Now, verses 14 to 15, if you still don't see the proof of the Holy Spirit living in your life. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him and He in God. Now, that just takes us back to the simple gospel truth. It really mirrors what John wrote in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's that simple. Charles Spurgeon said about this, There is the simple requirement of believing, which graciously points to a way of salvation suitable for guilty men. This is backed up by a wide description, Whosoever believeth in him. Many have found room in whosoever, who would not have felt themselves shut out who would have felt themselves shut out by a narrower word. Whosoever. That means everyone. It's that simple. When, when we doubt that our salvation and we are God's, we're, we're really doubting ourselves. We're doubting ourselves and, the, and what's going on in our own lives. We think, we think we're doubting ourselves. But what we're really doubting is God, because God is the one who saves us. And that's the trick. You know, the enemy wants us to look at ourselves and say, how can you be saved? I don't think you're even saved. I don't think you're God's. Look at you. Look at these things that are going on in your life. But we were always sinners, and God saved us. He loved us even though we were sinners. 
So we're doubting what God has done, as if what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough to save us, as if we can't take God at his word here in John 3.16, that we just need to believe in him to receive our salvation. We need to believe in him and then perform well. Is that what we need to do? No. We need to remind ourselves when we feel doubt that it's God's grace. He's given it to us. He said it. So instead of doubting him, then we can look at that half a verse that I just had to steal from Jim. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We know and rely on the love God has for us. Instead of doubting, we know it. We know that God loves us and we rely on that. Instead of looking at ourselves, we look at what he's done for us. Now, those of us who have children or, or have children in our lives, you know, as parents, you know, we, we, we want them to know for sure that, they, that we love them, right? I want my kids to know that, that I love them. And so when my little daughter, who, you know, is prone to the occasional tantrum, and I tell her she can't run around with a sharp object or eat something that she shouldn't, and she says, because they know how to play you, you don't love me, you hate me. I mean, I know full well that is like some serious manipulation there, right? But I can't help it. That gets me, right? It gets you. When your kids say, you don't love me, you hate me. So, but I love you so much. What are you talking about? I mean, I, I gave you the first plate of sugar. Do you really need the second one to show that I love you? <laughs> If we want so badly for our kids to know how much we love them, right? How badly does God want us to know that he loves us? I mean, we're, we're earthly parents. We're flawed, but he's perfect. He's a perfect father. And he wants us to know that he loves us. He wants us to know it and rely on it, his love for us. He wants us to know so badly that he sent his son to die on a cross for us. So God said, whoever believes in him has eternal life. And that anyone who acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. So we just need to trust him, not ourselves, not our feelings, not what we're going through right now, the struggles that we have. We trust him and we rely on him. If we've done that, if we've, put our, if we've believed in Jesus and acknowledged he's the Son of God, then we've received our salvation already and it can't be taken away from us ever. God tells us that. He makes it very clear. Now, I will say, if there's anyone listening or here that has not done that, then this is a different story for you. If you've never put your trust and belief in Jesus, if you don't believe in Jesus, that he's God's son and that he died on the cross for you, then you're still lost in your sins and all of this uh, knowledge of God's love for you you're missing out on it. You're missing out on the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You're missing out on eternal life currently, but it doesn't have to stay that way. God's made it very, very simple that we just need to believe in him. You can do it right now. And I'm going to give you a chance to do that when we pray. But for those of us who have done it, we need to stop worrying about it. Just don't worry about it at all because God doesn't want us to worry about that. He did all the work for us so that we didn't have to worry about it. We just need rather to assure ourselves through God's word 
instead of allow ourselves to be deceived. And then we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us to remind us and to help us along the way. It's as simple as the verses say, believe and acknowledge Jesus, Son of God, and receive the gift of grace. And then the Holy Spirit will continue to make those changes in us so that we can see that fruit coming out of our lives and will be better evidence of his love to the world around us, as John's been talking about throughout this letter, that we need to be loving God and loving people. Philippians 1.6 tells us, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing inside of us. It's continuing that good work, making us more like Jesus. So God's word says it, and we can count on it. We can rely on it. Until he returns for us or we return home to him, he's going to be working on us by the Holy Spirit. We won't reach that state of perfection or completion until we get there. In the meantime, we just need to know and rely on the love God has for us. So let's pray. Lord, we are just blown away by how much you love us and that you come to dwell within us is just a a fact that's almost too amazing to believe. But you say it, so we're going to trust you with it. And we just pray, Lord, you'd help us not to doubt your love or to uh, doubt that we are your children. You've made it so. You paid a high price for us, and we just need to be grateful for that. And we thank you. We thank you so much. I pray, Lord, for anyone who doesn't know you, Lord, that they would just turn to you now. And if that's you, you can just simply pray, Lord Jesus, I... I know I'm a sinner and I want you to be my savior. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. And I put my trust in you and I'm going to rely on you from here on out. And it's that simple. And we thank you, Lord, for making it so simple. We couldn't do it on our own, but you made it possible. We pray, Lord, you'd help us by your Holy Spirit to just grow in you each day, to to cut the things out that get in the way of that growth and to just trust and rely on you your love for us. It's, it's such an amazing love. How could it not be enough? It's more than enough. It's, it's all that we need. And we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, work in our lives and just continue doing that good work in us. So we just thank you, Lord, and we, we give you all glory and honor and praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll see you guys in the little hot dog aisle. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Have a good one.